Welcome to episode 58, The Truth About Mass Shootings. Before we get started, I want to ask you to do me a favor and share the show. If you're on social media and topics such as mass shootings, socialism, i.e. free stuff, cryptocurrencies, religious liberty, or the census comes up, please share the topic-specific TruthQuest episode with your debate partner. If you are listening to this on the Apple Podcast app, please take a moment and scroll down on the podcast page and give it a five-star rating. Another way you can help grow the show is to throw a small donation my way at the TruthQuest podcast patronage page. See the episode's show notes page at truthquest.podbean.com. The easiest way to stay up to date on the podcast is to subscribe to it on iTunes or Google Play Music. It's also available on Stitcher, Spotify, and Podbean. And finally, the video version of the podcast is available on YouTube and bitshoot.com. And of course, please join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash truthquestpodcast. As I record this episode, we just lived through the aftermath of two mass shootings, one in Walmart in El Paso, Texas, and one in the Entertainment District in Dayton, Ohio. All of these shootings are fueled by hate. The media selectively latches onto those where a specific group is targeted, like the El Paso shooting where the shooter was clearly looking to kill Hispanics. But very little ruminating about motives and hate goes on when a hate-filled lunatic shoots up a synagogue as occurred earlier this year in Pittsburgh. Go look at the archives of your favorite news outlet and compare the coverage of the El Paso shooting and the Orlando nightclub shooting and the Charleston Church shooting to the coverage of the Congressional Baseball shooting and the Pittsburgh synagogue shooting or the ambush assassinations of police officers that occurred at the end of Obama's second term in office or even the terrorist attack on the ICE facility in Washington state. Rather than condemning killing and murder generally, because both are immoral and criminal, the media and demagogues joyfully leverage selective shootings as a way to blame those who don't follow their political orthodoxy. I call them political opportunists disguised as compassionate onlookers. The truth about mass shootings and the gun control hashtag brigade is, they are not motivated by their compassion for the victims or future victims. They are motivated by two things. Number one, their hate of guns and therefore of gun owners, and they are motivated by their need to never allow a crisis to go to waste. Therefore, these incidents are used to advance a gun control agenda, and if we happen to be in an election cycle, used to unseat Republicans and elect Democrats. This is undeniable. Look at the rhetoric and accusations in the days and weeks following any mass shooting including the most recent ones, and you'll find very deliberate finger-pointing, name-calling, and demagoguery. It happens every time. Go back to the 1995 bombing of the federal building in Oklahoma City. Who did the Clinton administration blame for that incident? It was Rush Limbaugh. What about the Orlando nightclub shooting? That was blamed on homophobia espoused by, you guessed it, the Republican Party. What about the Charleston Church shooting? in the Aurora movie theater shooting, in the Parkland school shooting. Those fall under the catch-all category of just blame the NRA and sprinkle in a little hate, of course, espoused by the Republicans. What about the El Paso shooting? Well, Trump's rhetoric, of course, caused that shooting. I have a series of questions for everyone who blames their political opponents or a lobbyist group or rhetoric for causing shootings. Can you explain and indicate what you think was the root cause of some of these other incidents I mentioned at the top of the show? The truth is, the left gets immunity on their potential impact on shootings. I mean, if they can blame the NRA, Republicans, and Trump's rhetoric for causing shootings, how do they explain the Dayton shooter, a self-avowed Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren supporter? 
He was pro-Antifa and anti-police. Where's the condemnation and blame of Sanders, Warren, and Antifa? The congressional baseball shooter was a Bernie supporter. His mass shooting specifically targeted Republican members of Congress. Did Bernie ever apologize? Was he ever asked to? Where is the condemnation and blame on Sanders? The El Paso shooter was a climate change alarmist. He was an eco-fascist, which sounds a lot like the Democratic Party platform and the recent Democratic presidential nominee debates. His manifesto specifically says Trump is not to blame for the attack. He specifically states that he dislikes Trump. In subsequent interviews with the FBI, it has been reported that he was triggered by the most recent Democratic presidential nomination debates, where they all supported free health care for illegal immigrants. Is any of that relevant to the media? Apparently not. They already had Trump plugged into the blame card for this shooting. So the so-called rhetoric of the Democrats goes unmentioned. What about the sniper attack on police officers in Dallas in 2017, or the rash of ambush-style assassinations of cops? If you apply the same standards, that is, blaming a president's rhetoric for a particular shooting, then this is another example of the double standard or proof of the left's insincerity. These shooters' motives were right out of the Antifa playbook and the message of Black Lives Matter. Barack, the police acted stupidly Obama specifically, and the Democratic Party generally were, shall we say, less than complimentary to the police. They never blamed Black Lives Matter's anti-police rhetoric or Antifa. Where is the condemnation of all of this anti-police rhetoric, and why doesn't the left connect the dots from this rhetoric to the violence that ensues? The Antifa terrorists who attacked the ICE facility quoted Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's idiotic comparison of the border detention centers to concentration camps. The head of Black Lives Matter condoned this attack. Where is the condemnation and blame? What does all this prove? The media is out blaming right-wing hate groups and Trump, but the perpetrators are often self-professed liberals. I'm just looking for some consistency in the analysis and the blame-casting criteria. I mean, if you can cast blame for some shootings, certainly you can come up with something on the others. So, who is to blame? A recent Babylon Bee headline read, Studies show leading cause of gun violence is your political opponent. Now, the Babylon Bee is a parody news website, but their insights are usually very eye-opening. Rather than becoming a walking parody, I prefer to cast a wider, honest net, not to look for blame, but to look for root causes, such as looking at the individual perpetrators. After all, they're the ones who pulled the trigger. Is the problem really mass shootings or guns or rhetoric or the NRA? Or is the problem with the people willing to commit mass shootings? I mean, shouldn't we spend some time evaluating why so many of our fellow Americans, almost all young males, feel so helpless, enraged, and isolated from society that they would slaughter their fellow human beings? What other root causes can we explore? How about just general cultural rot? Or the removal from God from the public square? Or drugs and pharmaceuticals? Violent video games? Violent movies? Social media? Or what about the rise of mental illness in Americans' youth, especially among the men? I even came across a New York Post article speculating of a possible link from teenage marijuana usage and its effects on the still-developing brain and the rise of mental illness. Well, what about the internet as a whole, which enables people to submerge themselves in whatever hate-filled bubble they want 24-7? What about fatherless homes? Most every root cause I just mentioned is typically covered in the media coverage, but with one exception. Not once in the dozens of articles, media reports, and podcasts that I consumed as show prep for this podcast episode did I read or hear anything about God. Do you think a God-fearing person commits mass murder? What have progressives done to God over the last 75 years? 
They've chased him from the public square. They have also justified, glorified, and celebrated abortion, including partial birth abortion, which is straight-up murder. If you want to deep dive into either of these topics, in particular the removal of God from the public square, listen to episode 55, and I have four episodes on abortion. Besides the mass murder angle, Christians are commanded to treat all people with respect, so you would never see a Christian behaving like Antifa, Black Lives Matter, Occupy Wall Street, or Code Pink, all left-wing organizations that are often involved in violence and other illegal activity and intimidation. Christianity is based on love. A little bit of love would go a long way in today's society. Let's talk about condemnation discrimination. The left portrays themselves as the champions against discrimination, but they sure have no problem discriminating when it comes to politically opportunistic events. Whether through outright lying and blaming others, or through omission, refusing to acknowledge similar circumstances, these folks have proven to be professional discriminators. This guilt by omission can be demonstrated by asking questions, such as, why aren't we discussing the fact that some of these most recent killers describe themselves as eco-fascists, who are self-proclaimed socialists or communists, who are vehemently anti-capitalist? And why aren't any of the 30-plus mass shootings during Obama's eight years in office laid at his feet? Why wasn't his rhetoric and that of prominent Democrats examined, condemned, and blamed? The inconsistent condemnation from the left makes them very popular with their fringe and very vocal base, but leaves them looking silly and hollow to the population at large. The simple truth is, in America, you cannot take away people's guns. The Second Amendment prohibits it. But just like with any other constitutional issue that the left does not agree with, like the Electoral College, immigration, gun control, and health care, rather than work within the framework of the Constitution or drafting a constitutional amendment, they work to undermine and circumvent the very document that is responsible for this country's unprecedented rise to power and prominence. And if the Constitution does not address an issue that the left feels needs to be shoved down our throats, rather than leaving the issue to the states as prescribed by the Constitution, judicial activism is their favorite tool to force their views on the whole nation. Think gay marriage, abortion, Obamacare. If mass killing is a bad thing, which seems to be a universally accepted truth, I'm curious where all the outrage is over the death and destruction in war zones across the world where the United States is involved. Think about Afghanistan, Syria, Iraq. The inconsistency is the source of confusion for me. How do these people reconcile the fact that Trump's words inspire violence, but these same people will argue that violent movies and violent video games do not? It goes further. If premature death is tragic, why don't we see similar outrage and a call to arms over things like the deaths due to medical errors or suicides or car accidents? Shortly after the El Paso and Dayton shootings, science writer Neil deGrasse Tyson pointed out on Twitter that on average in any 48-hour period, we lose 500 people due to medical errors, 300 to the flu, 250 to suicide, 200 to car accidents, and 40 to handgun homicide. What was his point? He completes the tweet with this, quote, Our emotions respond more to spectacle than to data, end quote. And you mix in a heaping helping of irresponsible, agenda and party-driven flamethrowing politicians, TV talking heads, and writers, and you get what we have now. I get it. I get it. Equating mass murder to everyday deaths isn't the best comparison. However, this is the TruthQuest podcast, which requires me to present different perspectives in order to hopefully arrive at the truth. 
Did you know that over the same weekend of the El Paso and Dayton massacres, two other mass shootings occurred in Chicago? 53 people were shot and seven were murdered. Why aren't these shootings national coverage, with blame and hate being spewed in every direction? There's three reasons for that. Number one, Democrats run Chicago. Number two, Chicago has some of the most stringent gun ownership laws in the country. And number three, it doesn't fit the bash Trump and Republicans narrative. It doesn't serve the purpose. Who is to blame for these shootings and dozens of others in Chicago? I mean, come on, people. You can't blame the NRA. You can't blame Trump. You can't blame white supremacy. The mass shootings are just another opportunity for the left to sow the seeds of discord among the electorate. By finger-pointing, name-calling, and demonizing the other side of the debate, the left ensures that no real solutions will be arrived at. Finding a solution is not their goal. Their goal is to continually carve out more victim groups to whom they can pander. Their goal is a perpetual state of outrage in which they feed their voter base. Think about how the left handles any major public policy issue, whether it's welfare reform, immigration, climate change, abortion, health care reform, social security reform, spending reductions. Their playbook has not changed in decades. It's like the unimaginative football coach who just runs the ball up the middle every play. If it works, keep doing it. When you're playing against an inferior opponent, which the Democrat, progressive media, academic establishment certainly is, why change the playbook? The National Republican Party has shown itself to be an inferior opponent for sure. So liberals and Democrats just refuse to debate issues. Think about Obamacare and gun control. They demonize anyone who opposes their policies. Think about welfare and social security reform or climate change. They name call those who disagree with them. Think about immigration and abortion. It's all very predictable. Along these same lines, it's hard to take a political party seriously when on the one hand they want to limit the rights of people who have done nothing wrong, i.e. all the cries for gun control, but on the other hand they want to give rights to people who have committed crimes, i.e. voting rights for felons, amnesty for illegal immigrants. I mean, these positions are irreconcilable. I mean, let's just be honest. The left's behavior and rhetoric does not oppose or condemn violence or intimidation. Think about Occupy Wall Street, attacks on Trump supporters, think Antifa and Black Lives Matter. I've never seen any reports of either Presidents Bush or Reagan saying things like get in their faces, as Obama did during his re-election campaign when he talked to supporters about how to deal with the opposition. Of course, when Trump makes similar inflammatory remarks, the media goes batshit crazy. I've never heard any lunatic right-wingers or conservative restaurant managers accosting prominent elected Democrat officials or Obama administration officials while they ate. I've never heard of a Tea Party group beating up people in the streets and throwing concrete lace milkshakes at their perceived opponents. I've never heard of a Democratic member of Congress having a protest form outside his house while members of the group call for him to be stabbed in the heart. And I've never heard of a Republican member of Congress celebrate the physical attack of a Democratic senator. All of those things have happened in reverse. Despite the left's unwillingness to discuss real solutions short of gun confiscation, there are several things that can be done. We first have to be honest about the problem. As I mentioned earlier, is the problem really mass shootings or is the problem with people willing to commit mass shootings? And no, gun restrictions on law-abiding citizens will not cut down on mass shootings. As a matter of fact, violent crime peaked in the 90s in the U.S. and is currently down to rates not seen since the 1960s. The homicide rate is currently around 5 per 100,000. It was as high as 10 in 1980 and, around, and still around that amount in 1994. 
According to Mother Jones Magazine, no right-wing rag, in 2017 there were 117 deaths resulting from mass shootings, but there were a total of over 17,000 homicides that year. On the other hand, there's plenty of evidence to support the claim that more guns equates to less crime. See the work on John Lott on that. So let's look at some solutions. In my opinion, returning God to society's discussion would be the most helpful long-term solution, specifically a Judeo-Christian philosophy which teaches that everyone is made in God's image and deserves respect. Life deserves protection. It teaches love over hate, self-control, and introspection. Here again, progressives have successfully cheapened the value of life, most notably through their zeal for abortions. It is my personal belief that states and churches and schools and city halls should ignore all the religious liberty restricting Supreme Court opinions based on the 1947 Everson case, where the wall of separation precedent was created out of thin air, as discussed in episode 55. Teach about God and the Bible in schools. Encourage prayer in schools. Proudly display the Ten Commandments. Celebrate Christmas publicly. Secondly, our law enforcement authorities can do their jobs. In the case of the Parkland, Charleston, and San Bernardino shootings, and even in the El Paso shootings to a certain extent, there were opportunities for police intervention. There were lots of red flags. What about mental health? This is largely ignored by the mainstream, get Trump, demonize the NRA media. They prefer name-calling and falsely blaming others. Mentally healthy people do not commit mass murder. Is that a controversial statement? One may kill in a fit of rage, or you may be able to argue that some murder can be committed by mentally healthy people, but by definition, those who purposely, with premeditation, kill multiple people, that ain't a mentally healthy person. There should be a reevaluation of the current restrictive nature of the regulations of involuntary commitment of the dangerously mentally ill. Fourth, red flag legislation, also referred to as gun violence restraining orders, or some people call them extreme risk protection orders appears to be a very hot topic right now. President Trump mentioned them in his address to the nation following the most recent shootings. We have prominent Republican congressmen who endorse the idea. Truth be told, 17 states already have these laws in one form or another. What these laws do is allow family members and others to apply for an order enabling legal authorities to temporarily remove guns from those who are deemed to be significant dangers to themselves or others. Detractors point out that the, there are obvious due process concerns, and they argue that these laws, if implemented, should also include some type of mental health treatment for the perpetrators. They also argue for penalties against those who make frivolous claims against others. Clearly, this is a complex solution that will require serious evaluation, and I might add, this is not a federal issue. The Constitution does not grant the feds the power to pass civil restrictions like red flag laws, but with constitutional illiterates in the White House, passive members of the GOP congressional delegation, and a power-hungry left wing itching to take more and more liberties away from the people, we are likely to see some form of unconstitutional federal red flag legislation in the near future. I, for one, am very skeptical. This is an example of the do something, and the something ends up being yet another incremental infringement on our constitutional rights. This is simply backdoor gun control and confiscation. Think about it. Who will determine those who get apprehended? What is the criteria? Doesn't it depend on who's in power? What if you attend a Trump rally? What if you post conservative policy prescriptions on social media? What if you're pro-life or pro-Second Amendment? Or what if you're anti-illegal immigration or anti-single-payer health care? Or what if you question the overreach and size and scope of the federal government? Or what if you publish an anti-establishment podcast? 
Or people who have been treated for drug and alcohol abuse, they may have a red flag. Or what if you serve in the military or in law enforcement? I mean, after all, you probably have some type of psychological affliction following such a career that would preclude you from owning a gun. Do you think I'm exaggerating? Do an internet search on the words Janet Napolitano, Veterans, and Terrorists. She was Obama's Homeland Security head. I bet your search results include the words right-wing extremist. Read up on it. You still think the government is benevolent and will not take their power too far? How about the abuses of the so-called no-fly list? This is another homework assignment for you. Look it up. I mean, how much common sense is required to understand that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely? What about digital medical records? Have you had a physical lately? Have you noticed the questions they ask? And you think your records are private? They're digital. They're easily shared or hacked. How naive are we? These types of laws, these red flag laws, are ripe for abuse of power. And a final solution that I may as well throw out there is the elimination of these gun-free zones. We should also consider arming teachers, store managers, and staff members who work at highly attended events like concerts, sporting events, and festivals. So let's wrap up this episode. One thing that just drives me nuts is selective outrage. I think I've made that abundantly clear over the last 20 minutes. All I'm looking for is some consistency. All I'm looking for is some intellectual honesty. All I'm looking for is the truth. I'm looking for people to be principle-driven rather than party-driven. I'm looking for real journalism where both sides of a debate are presented with no agenda. If killing is bad, then killing is bad, period. To ignore the killing of a baby in the womb, yet scream from the mountaintops every time a mass shooting occurs is dishonest. To ignore the body count in Chicago, a city with the most restricted gun ownership laws, and the hometown of our most recent Democratic president, while blaming the NRA for other shooters' actions, exposes that person as a fraud. Let's be honest, if fewer guns meant less violence, Baltimore and Chicago would be the safest cities on the planet. Selective outrage exposes the truth. That being, rather than look for solutions, these folks use the event to push an agenda, one that requires law-abiding citizens to relinquish more of their God-given rights as documented not only in the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, but in natural law. They are required to relinquish it to a behemoth government with a 100% failure rate and a 100% chance of fraud, waste, bureaucracy, and unaccountable screw-ups. As I have said over and over again in these episodes on various topics, it is beyond me why we the people are so willing to turn over our rights to D.C. Along these same lines, I would be remiss if I did not address the do-something crowd. When it comes to government, those two words pose an existential threat. It never turns out well. Think about 9-11. What do we get? The TSA, the Patriot Act, NSA spying, the Department of Homeland Security. Think about all the other federal agencies that were created in order to do something about something. All we ever get is larger and larger government with fewer and fewer liberties left to the people. Please join the conversation on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash truthquestpodcast.